The VGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 663, recorded on September 13th, 2022. Hello, and welcome to the 663rd episode of the TD Gaming Podcast and 496th episode of Video Game Roundtable. I am TJ Denzer. I am Scott Dirk. And I am Jonah Falcon. The VGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry and a gaming flashback. Right, so we're going to talk about what we've been playing. Um... <laughs> I have not been playing NBA 2K23 because, again, it is chock full of gills of uh, microtransactions and it's mediocre gameplay and I'm not going to play it. I'm not going to give them $70, especially since they're expecting me to spend $100 more on on DLC, and I'm never going to do that. I have not paid for an NBA 2K game in over 15 years now, and I have no intention of doing so when they're doing this. Yeah, that's a shame. Like, it really sucks, the state of sports games these days. Yeah. I have been playing a game called Tinykin. <laughs> and Tinykin is uh, Pikmin. And that's it. <laughs> Tinykin is Pikmin for the for other consoles. Um, the difference is that you're an alien um, and you're in a giant house. And that's about the only change. It's not like Pikmin, which is very, you know, takes place in a forest or or thing or something natural. No, this is all inside a house. It's fun. Oh, yeah. And it takes the uh, aesthetic of Paper Mario, too. So it's basically Paper Mario style for Pikmin. I've also been playing a game called Open Opus Magnum. And apparently this game's been around for a while because it has a lot of – it has a very niche appeal. It's basically a puzzle game, but in which you have to make the incredible machine in order to get – to make uh, molecules. It's a strange game. It has a very devoted following, if a small one. And I've also started playing Psychonauts 2 again just because I want to relive the story. That's rad. Yeah, that's a good one to go back to. Yeah. What have you been playing, TJ? Uh, so for the most part, this last week, I have been playing a little bit of... Sp- uh, I've been moving, so I uh, I didn't have a chance to play a lot of games, but eventually we finally got settled in, and uh, I, I busted out some Cyberpunk since they did a big old new update on it. And I By the way, see- you sound like you're in a, in a box. <laughs> I'm in a new room. I'll have to adjust my audio settings over time to figure out how to get back to where I was in the old place. You need you a, need the sound dampeners there. <laughs> but I'm in, but I am in a larger office and uh, there I actually actually I should turn the fan off. That's probably going to help. Well, it isn't the uh, fan. <laughs> You're just but, in a box. <laughs> but I have a lot more airflow in this room, so I uh, I'm, I I'm I can't get myself. I can't get myself to play Cyberpunk 2077. I mean, I did not have any of the bugs for it, but the thing is, you know, once I played through the story, that was fine, and I felt no need to replay it. I haven't beaten the game, so when a new big update go, comes out, I like to go in there and see how it's operating at where I'm at and see how it's affecting things. Uh Jonah, I had a new I have a new and exciting automotive bug. That happens as of Cyberpunk 2077 update 1.16. I've been using uh, Jackie's, Jackie's motorcycle, 
which is really fast. It's a really fast motorcycle. Um, Hard to control. It's, it's so fast, in fact, that when I call the vehicle up as of one point... It just zooms right past you and just crashes what? <laughs> no, even better. It zooms up and then pulls to a complete stop as fast as possible. And it does and a, uh, a somersault or something? Seven times out of ten, it has done a wheelie on the front wheel like for about a good two seconds before like leveling out. And then the other three times out of ten, it completely flips over its own handlebars. Yeah, that's not from the past. That That's always been the way. So you're obviously probably playing on the PS5, right? I, yeah, I didn't have that happen before with the bike before, though. Like, I don't remember that. I happening. did. I've been using that bike for a while. I did. But, like, <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, there's a good chance that when I see that bike show up, it's going to pop a wheelie up on the front or just flip over itself and crash. You know, it's funny. Um, the only thing that I really, really, really liked about Cyberpunk 2077 was the city, you know, Night City. Just walking around it. It's the first time I ever played an open world game in which being in a city felt like being in a city. Yeah. It's a, I, I, there are things I like about it and things I don't like about it, but like for the most part, I, I've been playing like a stealth tech build, which uh, I sneak around in the shadows, go for one hit, either takedowns or kills, and uh, try to hack everything that I can. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've found that like the the interactions and that form of play style, they're fun, but they can also be aggravating because of how uncooperative like knocked out bodies and hiding things can be. I'm gonna tell you right now. Um, make sure you you have a great sniper rifle so you can take care of Adam Smasher. Oh, late in the game. I, uh, I just picked up one, so I'm gonna hold on to it. Just just try and improve it as much as possible because if you're gonna play a stealth build. You better have a sniper rifle when it comes to Adam Smasher. Yeah, he doesn't look like he's uh, fun to fight up close. No, but you know what? He went down particularly fast once I found an exploit with the sniper rifle and just was able to pick him off and just keep braining him until he just fell down. Yeah, I'm still pretty early in the game for the most part, but uh, but I'm I like I like going back to Cyberpunk because I do think that like. Over the time, since that game has improved immensely since it first came out. And I think that's kind of a CD Projekt Red thing to do, is release a, a broken and buggy game and then just polish it up over the course of time based on people's feedback. He, I wonder what it would have been like if they if Monolith developed it. I have no idea. I, I don't know. Like Monolith, Monolith knows how to make the perfect open world game. Yeah, I agree with that. But... but um. So, but it's been fun. It's been fun re-exploring some cyberpunk and, and seeing what kind of funny new things I can find. Yeah, you reviewed a sound system two weeks ago. Tell us about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, the uh, the Arena 9. So this is a Steel Series setup. They, uh, they recently put out some surround sound speakers that are meant to be used with PC and, uh, and uh, PlayStation. They, they they make a version that works with Xbox, but you have to get the specific Xbox version because Xbox Audio works on a different codec than PC or, or PlayStation does. Um, nonetheless, uh, it's they made three different versions of this. It's the Arena 3, Arena 7, I think, and then the Arena 9, which is what I have. 
Um, it's a pretty decent setup. It's about a, it's, it's meant to be used with speakers, but I don't know if I would want to because the whole thing is, uh, it's a huge setup. It comes with, with two front speakers, a center speaker, two rear speakers, and a subwoofer, which is a lot of wires to put under your desk yeah. at a desktop computer. I've had one of those back in the day. <laughs> and it's always a bitch to figure out where to put those rear speakers because you don't want them getting jangled all the time. Because they'll be behind you, and then you have to get up. Oh, wait. Oh, no. So ultimately, what I decided on was making a living room setup and attaching this whole setup to my PS5. And it's worked quite well. I uh, I really enjoy, like, the, the, the amount of depth that's given to the sound in my living room. Uh, I tested it out immediately with, uh, with Guilty Gear, because Guilty Gear has, features a lot of heavy metal music. And uh, the bass that it puts out with the, the music in Guilty Gear is incredible. Um, and then there's games like Horizon Forbidden West and, and, uh, and Alien Isolation that I enjoy that have, that have good atmosphere to them. And I swear, when I, turned on, uh, when I turned on Horizon Forbidden West for the first time with the speaker set up, my spouse thought that there was a thunderstorm about to come on. <laughs> <laughs> and... It's it, it was that it had that kind of effect on the room. I really uh, it's pretty pricey. It's like a five hundred and fifty dollars setup for the Arena Nine, so it's not something that you should go into like if you're going for a, if you're there are more economic options out there in my opinion. If you're just looking for for good sound and and don't want to spend a chunk a change, but for what it is, for what's in the box, I would say it's. They they put five hundred dollars worth of gear in the box, and it works well. Just so you know, um, there's a lot of uh, regular old bar speakers that cost that much. You know, mm-hmm. this is about bars. the price of a mid range sound bar, oh. and uh, I would say that it operates at that level too. Like Steel Series has pretty good sound to them. They they've been doing uh, a lot of good headsets over the years. The headset that I use for my PC, the Nova Arctis, is another good like. Headset is is another good sound option, but like if you want something that's like a surround sound feel, I would say that like you could probably go down to the one of the like the Arena Seven and the Arena Three. They aren't huge setups, but they still feature decent sound. Right. What have you been playing, Scott? I've been playing Omna. It is a 3D adventure game where you're exploring a uh, desolate world filled with little critters that you put in a little uh, critter encyclopedia. And uh, as far as I could tell, so far, you don't uh, fight anything. You're just kind of doing parkour puzzling and uh, finding out what happened to this world that you're traversing. Uh, I've only played a little bit, but it seems like a nice game so far. You know what? Oh, no. Prologue, right? Yeah. O-M-N-O. No, I mean it's it's a very uh, very cloudy and light game, you know. It has yeah. a ethereal feel to it. Definitely. Uh, and like I said, there's little critters that are wandering around, and you uh, when you go up to them, you add them to your little uh, critterpedia that you know tells you about them, and you have to capture these little light. Orders. Yeah, I played the. I got the. It was on. This was on uh, Game Pass, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's basically a puzzle platformer. Yeah. And, you know, the, I, I tried to get through it. It just, you know, it was the puzzles were starting to, to beat my brain. So I couldn't continue. Mm. 
uh yeah it's 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 fun so far you know i'm I'm enjoying it um you know so just it's like a relaxed chill game yeah all these giant beasts like a giant turtle and yeah walking thing and stuff like that uh have you played anything else Besides Minecraft, you don't have to say you played Minecraft. We know you played Minecraft. <laughs> uh, not much else at the moment. Okay. So uh, we're going to move on to uh, uh, Gaming Flashback. Oh, actually, yeah, Gaming Flashback. And the Gaming Flashback is XCOM Enemy Unknown. Uh, XCOM Enemy Unknown is a 2012 turn-based tactical strategy video game uh, developed by Firaxis Games and published by 2K Games. And I'm going to tell you something. The moment I heard, oh, by the way, Sid Meier is doing a remake of XCOM, it was like, what? <laughs> uh, the game is a reimagined remake of the 1994 cult classic strategy game XCOM UFO Defense, also known as F- a UFO Enemy Unknown, and a reboot of Microprose's 1990s XCOM series. Set in an alternative version of the year 2015, the player controls an elite multinational paramil- paramilitary organization called XCOM during an alien invasion of, New- of Earth. Uh, the player commands troops in a field in a series of turn-based tactical missions. Between missions, the player directs the research and development of technologies from recovered alien technology and captured prisoners and expands uh, X-Base a base of operations, manages finances, and monitors in response to alien activity. It was released for Windows, PS3, and Xbox 360 in October 9, 2012. Uh, it was critically acclaimed, with several reviewers commenting on the game's difficulty, replayability, and addictiveness. A number of publications, including Game Spy, uh, Game Trailers, and Giant Bomb, named it Game of the Year, and it went on to be considered one of the greatest games ever made. A sequel to the game, titled XCOM 2, was released in 2016 for Windows, OS X, and Linux, and eventually PS5 and Xbox One, and... Anytime you mention XCOM, uh, you always have someone say, oh, yeah, 95% chance of hitting, you missed. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I love the, the, the New Age XCOM games, but I also liked, I also liked the classic XCOM games. Um, the classic? Oh, here, we have to talk about this. The classic classic, uh, the one, wasn't Jordan, I forgot. He was the same guy who did uh, that, that remake, I think it was Project Phoenix, um, with, with crabs. Um attacking from under the sea um that game was harder than hard part of it was that the uh interface was completely shitty it was a time in which mouse and mouse the mouse was just being used and the game didn't quite know how to use it so one of the best things about xcom enemy unknown was that it was easy to use the the uh the interface was perfect also what it included what it included okay go ahead I was going to say, Julian Gullup was the designer of the original and of Phoenix Point, which was the spiritual successor. Right. So um, the other thing is that it also included these little cinematics, you know. Now, one thing that people caught on was when they actually ran a cinematic, it meant, oh, I'm going to hit him. Which is why they took the, the in XCOM 2, they made it so that sometimes you missed when you did the cinematic, when they did a little cinematic, you know. And it was always great watching them, you know, doing these close-ups and of the of the characters and you know and there were so many things you could it was so open like um a lot of people use their rocket launcher or grenade to blast open a wall so that their sniper could target the people inside you know there were so many ways the game was so satisfying as a tactical strategy game i mean no one has has come close to being as satisfying a game i think and yes i'm talking about the tactics seems like final fantasy tactics and all that stuff one of the things I think uh, XCOM Enemy Unknown did best was handling cover and elevation. 
I like yeah. I really I really liked the verticality of XCOM and the way that you could actually like have soldiers climb ladders and get into like crow's nest to Well, I mean the sniper um I don't know if it was in the original XCOM. I know it's in XCOM 2, but I'm pretty sure it was in XCOM 2 in which one of the skills that you give them was get a bonus if they were in higher elevation. Yeah. And then you had like and and then you could like set up oh, the way that you could set up Overwatch to and I know that's not like I don't know if that's considered a first for uh, set up a, you have to do a but, yeah set up Overwatch to make a killing uh, a killing floor so that all you guys are set up and then one of your guys alerts the aliens they all react and they run in and all of a sudden all your guys on on Overwatch just say okay bam 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 yeah they uh they really they really made feel like the strategy and like the tactics and like the the three dimensional depth of the battlefield felt. They made it very cinematic too. At the same time, yeah, it felt really good when you when you're not, when like anyone hit a good shot and just took an enemy out that looked like they were going to be t- harder to deal with. And on the flip side, it's frustrating as hell when you have a character with a shotgun and a ninety nine point percent chance of hitting. And it's a berserker who is like towering over him. You say, "How in the world did you miss a berserker?" <laughs> That's like Even missing worse. a barn door. <laughs> Even worse, shoot through a chrysalid, and then that chrysalid just kills the shit out of them and impregnates them with a chrysalid baby. Yeah, uh, that's the other thing is you had the um, you had an iron mode, but you also had in the game itself. You had ter- permanent death, and you got to name your characters, and they all had personal well, not personalities, but they all had their own little things. Um, we can't talk about XCOM Enemy Unknown without discussing Long War mod, which um, improved the game. It was almost like XCOM 1.5. Yeah, agreed. And it was so good that they ended up bringing the Long War of Modders in to work on XCOM 2's DLC. Yeah. Like, War of the Chosen is is done by the Long War mod, guys. And, um, you know, it's a... At first, I didn't like XCOM 2 more than I did XCOM 1, but after the DLC came out and they kept that... And it became much, much, much better than the original XCOM, to which I just play... XCOM 2 as uh, my, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to run through a, uh, and the thing is that I've gotten so ridiculously good. You know, the first XCOM Enemy Unknown, I managed to win with every single country happy and every single country covered by a, um, by a satellite. So it's like the entire Earth loves me. Because the thing is that if, um, in the first game, if you kept on screwing up and you didn't set, uh, you didn't help a country, at some point they were just going to give up and just join the aliens. Yeah, they pull out of the they pull out of the X they pull funding out of the XCOM project and basically say fuck you, we'll do it on our own. And we're not going to discuss XCOM two, but what's funny about XCOM two is it's sort of like a what if story. You know, uh, XCOM is you know the basic alien invasion, while XCOM two poses the question: What if we lost the war? <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah, like, and I think that's a that's a distinct difference in moods between XCOM One and XCOM Two is that XCOM Enemy Unknown, you are racing against time. There is a clock, and you have to beat that clock and and out and make good plays at every turn on the map to try to thwart the alien invasion. And I think what XCOM Two loses a little bit is that urgency. There is an urgency. What are you talking about? They're doing the Avatar project. Yeah, but. Like they've already won. The only thing. Yeah, but if they if, winning more. <laughs> the thing is that um, 
if if you take too long with XCOM 2 and you don't you know devote some time to to taking out the bases, then they complete the XCOM uh, thing and they win. They 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 crush you. Um, the one thing I, I will say, the other thing I'm going to say about XCOM 2 was it was a Star Trek: The Next Generation reunion <laughs> with <laughs> with Michael Dorn and John Delancey and Marina Sirtis all providing voices. Oh, and of course, um, I'm sorry, William Riker as well. It's funny they have. They have everybody. They have the entire. They have four. They have four characters from Next Generation in that game. And what's funny is that um, Michael Dorn plays Praedal Mox, and uh, Marina Sirtis plays a. Oh, I forgot her name. But she plays one of the uh, one of the human factions, and they initially start off hostile, and then they start liking each other. So like we want to. It's like Worf. Uh, Worf. Um, Worf Deanna Troy uh, cosp. Uh, you know fanfic. Of course, you know, you can't have John Delancey doing anything but being sarcastic, and that's what he is in that game as well. So, yeah, um, I love XCOM 2, but you know what? Um, kudos to Firaxis to taking XCOM and making it playable, because I liked the 1995 game, but it was just too difficult to play, as in, it was hard, but it was also... The, um, Un- unwieldy. Yeah, the, the interface sucked. And then, after playing Phoenix Point, Project Phoenix, or oh, whatever... I realized, you know what, the developer wasn't good to uh, wasn't too good at, at play balance either. Thank goodness for Sid Meier, who knows everything about game theory, because he took he took he took XCOM and made it better. Yeah, I mean, like I had fun with Phoenix Point. I didn't think I didn't think it was too much harder than than XCOM. And no, but they yeah. overcomplicated it. They made too many things that you had to think about. You know, even in combat. You know, at least in XCOM, it's say, like, okay, they're the aliens. Here are your guys. This is the weapons they have. Have at it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, once you start adding a whole bunch of factions into the mix that you have to please, in addition to keeping the world safe, it becomes so much more complicated. Yeah, and here's the thing. You know, it, 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 Phoenix Point was basically the poster child for feature creep. Yeah. I don't know. I still think that there's good things about Phoenix Point that, the, that XCOM doesn't do. I... To a certain degree, I know it's kind of like a placebo effect, but I like the cursor control giving you control over where you're shooting and targeting body parts like that. Um, I know that a lot of people found it to be useless, but I actually enjoyed that as far as game feel went. Well, if you want to do that, you can always play a Fallout game. Well, sure. That's what I like about it. It it reminded me of Vets. Anyways, uh, we're going to move on to quick news. Uh, First things first, Spider-Man Mods adds Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, and everybody knew when the PC version of Spider-Man came out, uh, Marvel Spider-Man to be exact, uh, you knew the mods were going to come out. Uh, the first mod that I really want, but they, he, he took it off, uh, Nexus mods for now, but it's the Kermit mod. Um, I don't know if you saw that one. <laughs> it's, you have Kermit acting like, Sp- and has the voice of Spider-Man doing all the Spider-Man voice, but it's Kermit. It's not quite the same existential crisis as having Thomas the Tank Engine in Resident Evil, but have you seen the Kermit Mod for Spider-Man yet? No, I haven't. Oh, oh God! Yes, I have. Yes, I have. <laughs> Which it is the perfect <laughs> mod. <laughs> Who they doesn't want to be Kermit? They need to get voice. They need to get Kermit voice quips in there. Yeah, the problem though, it's a narrative game, so you can have regular voice during the entire thing. Yeah, it's a long game. I haven't finished it yet. Um, I've actually put it off because um, I don't know. Spy- uh, Marvel Spider-Man. It's not Batman. It's not Batman Arkham. Or at least, it's not Batman Arkham Asylum. 
I I'm medi- I'm lukewarm on Arkham City, and I really don't like the other games because they went to open world. I'm I, like I said, you know, Batman Arkham Asylum, the best Predator missions. Though that's what I live for is those Predator missions in the first game. Uh, U.S. regulars say multiplayer a billion dollar crypto leader Celsius was operating like a Ponzi scheme. At some points in time, yielding to existing investors were probably were probably being paid by the assets of new investors. Um, all cryptocurrency is a Ponzi scheme. All of them. Yeah, because the entire value of crypto is given to it by two friends are sharing it between each other, and just and then some third party decides so to get like, in, and it's like, oh, you got screwed. It feels like the goal of cryptocurrency is to is to buy low, get like hope for a hope for a jackknife and price increase, and then leave someone else holding the bag. It's, it's this is um you know I mean it's happening over and over again. Before crypto, there was the housing thing. And it's just annoying. Um, related to that, Ubisoft finally realizes everyone hates M- NFTs and just says it's researching. Honest. When we have something that gives you a real benefit, we'll bring you to, to you. Guess what? There's never going to be a real benefit to any NFTs in your fucking game. Here's the thing. It's called video games, not video work. We're not working for you. We're not your employees. We're, we're, your, we're your customers. <laughs> the very nature of the idea, like what it's commonly called play to earn. And that sounds like a job. <laughs> And it's a very boring job. Yeah. I mean, so, they're not even better than a lot of cell phone games. You know, there's one cell phone game which you just tap the screen. You know that? You know those games? That's what these are. Uh, speaking of Ubisoft, um, we have we're going into game news, and um, there's a lot of stuff going on this weekend, and it's like we have a lot of show for you. Uh, we're not going to try to rush through it. But the first thing uh, was Ubisoft Forward, and um, We'll discuss the new Assassin's Creed, uh, Creed game yet, but do you have any opinions about Marion Rabbids, Sparks of Hope, speaking of XCOM? <laughs> How funny is it that Rabbids began as this creepy sort of minion, uh, proto-minion thing. They still are proto-minion. In a Rayman game, and now Rayman is a guest star in a Rabbids game. Yeah. It's the new trailer show. Hey, guess what? It's Rayman! Yeah, that's fine. When are we getting a new Rayman game? He's uh, gonna be DLC. He's a, he's not even a main character. He's a guest. That's that's kind of sad because I find the rabbits to be really annoying. Um, I, I don't really. I guess I don't really care about Mario. Uh, Mario XCOM. So. Well, here's the, the big difference between Mario and Rabbids and XCOM is that um, if you have line of sight, you'll always hit. There is no missing. There is no percentage. You just hit. Well, that's good, at least. Yeah, it's really funny though. Like, and I don't give. Skull and Bones doesn't look good. <sighs> here's a, here's the thing: Skull and Bones has been announced for Xbox, PlayStation, PC, Stadia, and Luna. I thought Stadia shut down. It didn't shut down. It moved to the Peloton bikes only. I don't know why they think that's a good idea, but that's what they're doing. Oh, the thing is that it is cross-play, so there's at least that. This is the trailer they showed at uh, Gamescom, right? Where the guy's like uh, on the street and then he. No, it's, it's a new. No, it's a new. It's a, it was a new trailer, just showing basically all the gameplay and all the gameplay uh, features. But you know, you know, here's the thing: it's Sea of Thieves without one wit of irony or humor or any sort of of, of self awareness. Well, I mean, you're you're not a pirate when you're actually on the ship. You're the boat itself, which like. Yeah, that, no. that we have World of Warships already. <laughs> no, 
No, no, Ubisoft. Let me be the pirate. Let me join up with my friends and control a boat together and like sink other ships through our teamwork. Let's let's guns vigorous this shit. Let's let's see. Yeah, that's it. This shit. It's what? funny. No one has no one has surpassed. I mean, CFDs has arguably surpassed uh, Guns of Icarus. But, you know, if you're going to do Guns of Icarus, do Guns of Icarus. No, but Skull and Bones is World of Warships. Yeah, and that makes it look like it sucks. It The combat in that game does not look fun at all. When you run into another ship, it does this canned cinematic of you boarding their ship and fighting each other and doing shit. It was like, wow, I wish I could be doing all that in gameplay instead of watching it fucking happen. Yeah. It's stupid. It's like, I... I Skull and Bones has long hit me as vaporware that Ubisoft is now just trying to recoup the loss on. And it comes across real big when they say that this is going to be the game that they start charging $70 for. It's like, this is the one? This is the one that you're going to do that with? Skull and Bones? That's stupid. There's, I don't know. I, I don't understand any of Ubisoft's decisions regarding school. Well, let's talk about let's talk about uh, understanding Ubisoft's decisions in which they bring back Rainbow Six as a mobile game. Um, here's the thing: uh, I thought that they were going to bring back Splinter uh, Splinter Cell as a mobile game, which would have been equally offensive because, hey, you've had the, the IP of of Splinter Cell and you're bringing it back, and it's going to be mobile. Um, I don't know. It just seems like a like a fart-out game to me. Diablo's mobile game is uh, far more well-thought-out, aside from the microtransactions. Yeah. It... Yeah. I don't know. Ubisoft seems like it's floundering when it comes to a lot of its stuff. Mario and Rabbids seems like one of the few competent things going on there. Well, they're doing it in conjunction with Nintendo. Nintendo does have some input on it, and Nintendo's going to say, hey, if you're going to use Mario, it better not be a piece of shit. Right. Like, I, I legitimately want to play Sparks of Hope. I like that. I like that idea. I've always liked that concept, and I liked the first game. It's... It, it's... it's it's um, I'm not going to say it's dumbed down. It's simplified XCOM, but you know what? Sometimes you need a... Hey, you know, sometimes you just want to be able to say, hey, I'm pointing my gun at that, and uh, Princess Peach, you have the shotgun. Just take out the rabbit. And also, murdering rabbits is always fun. Yes. And, like, there's charm in this game. There's charm in Mario plus Rabbids because you still have Nintendo involved, and Nintendo knows how to do charm. Also, um, um, let's talk about the next item. Go ahead, TJ. Ubisoft announces new Assassin's Creed games set in Baghdad, Japan, and more from The Verge. After a string of leaks, Ubisoft has officially unveiled the next major Assassin's Creed game. As expected, it's called Mirage, and will shift the time-traveling series to 9th century Baghdad, where players will take on the role of a budding assassin named Basim. Fans might remember that name from the appearance in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Mirage takes place two decades before that game. Ubisoft claims that the game will get back to the action-adventure roots of the series, which means that the RPG mechanics from more recent games will not be present. Mirage is expected to launch sometime in 2023. Yeah, here's the thing. You know, you shouldn't have a level to be able to stab someone in the neck. Yeah. Agreed. But that's not all for the series, as Ubisoft may also made a number of other big announcements regarding the future of the franchise. Ubisoft is developing the first open-world version of Assassin's Creed for smartphones called, currently dubbed Jade, which is set in China and will let players customize their own character. This is not going to be and the also, first game that that's set in China. They had that uh, 2D 
uh, Mark of the Ninja style uh, Assassin's Creed China game. Yeah, and also Assassin's India Creed chapters or something like that. Yeah, that China and India. But uh, you will also be able to parkour across the the Great Wall. Codename Jade is listed as coming soon. Elsewhere, Ubisoft also says it's working on an unnamed mobile title for Netflix's gaming service, though there are no details on that right now. Netflix and Ubisoft are currently working together on a live-action series based on Assassin's Creed. As for the the future of the mainline series, Ubisoft shared a few details on the games that will come after Mirage. One of these is codenamed Red. Is it one of these codenamed Red is in development at Ubisoft's Quebec City studio, and will be set in feudal era Japan. While the while the Montreal team is working on another codename, another game codenamed Hex. While there isn't while there aren't details on that one yet, it appears to be about witches in some form. While Mirage is largely eschewing the RPG mechanics of games like Odyssey, it appears that both Red and Hex will retain them. You know, I'm just thinking about that new language law in Quebec, and I'm wondering if they're going to be forced to, <laughs> forced, to yeah, forced to use a a, a, a a programming language that's in French. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because you're right that that has put a damper on video game development in that city as a whole. Maybe they're being attacked by Quebec right now for codenaming it Red instead of Rouge. <laughs> Anyway, uh, you know, Assassin's Creed Mirage looks suspiciously like Assassin's Creed, the first game, which wasn't too far away from the Middle East. As a matter of fact, it wasn't the Middle East. Um, it, was, it took place in Jerusalem, Acre, and uh, Damascus. Um, I don't know. I, I'm withholding my judgment because uh, since for Black Flag, the Assassin's Creed games have been just terrible. Yeah, agreed. They, they have lost their heart, their heart and soul. They uh, and like and I think to a certain degree they're right. The RPG mechanics have just made it more convoluted and stupid. I mean, they said after uh, what was the one said in Greece again um, before Valhalla Odyssey in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, it's like this game is taking seventy hours to complete, and then Ubisoft says, "Don't worry, Valhalla will take less." Time. Bullshit. <laughs> Valhalla was even more bloated and long, and. After 20 hours, I, I just gave up. I said, uh, I'm not going to play any more of this. It's dull. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm like I said, I'm not impressed with Skull and Bones, and if that's what AAA Ubisoft looks like nowadays, then I'm not looking for anything from them past Mario plus Rabbids. Um, I believe they also released a, rem- a remastered version, not Assassin's Creed 3, but another one uh, that was with the one from New Orleans that was previously a mobile game. You know which one I'm talking about? Didn't they remaster that one? I don't know. I think it was Assassin's Creed Rogue that was remastered. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it, you're right. I don't know where Ubisoft is going. <laughs> they they have no idea. As a matter of fact. Um, I think they were also uh, addressing a lot of the sexual harassment stuff that was going on in the studio. Still, it's just it's it's a trash fire right now at Ubisoft. Anyways, uh, let's talk about Nintendo Direct. We'll hold off talking about uh, the, one of the articles, which has its own article. So uh, the big the big answer to everybody about what Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be is going to be called uh, Tears of the Kingdom, and it's going to be coming out May 12, 2023. What did you think, TJ Scott? 
I like the name. I'm, I'm glad they renamed it so it wasn't just going to be Breath of the Wild 2. Um, and I, I think from the mural, it looks like there's, it's, it looks like a, it's something that falls from the sky, I guess like tears of a goddess or something or some sort of being. Um, there's a lot of theorizing going on that there'll be like seven dungeons or something and maybe we'll get proper big dungeons this time around. Um, that's what I'm hoping for anyways. Do you think they're doing a, a version of Majora's Mask? Uh, it could be. I mean, it could be like the moon is going to crash into you. You have all this time to, to get. <laughs> well, I mean, it was the trailer was very cool. You, you see Link jump off of a sky island and he eventually lands on a big metal flying bird, uh, which I, I, I presume you're going to control, I guess. Uh, so flying looks like it's in the game. Uh, or, or some sort of gliding, I, I'm not sure, but it, it, it was a big metal bird, so it was very interesting. Um, I know many people are very excited and happy for this uh, development. You sure? It makes so much more sense that they decided to do a remaster of uh, of Skyward Sword at this point. Like after seeing this trailer, it's it, it, I'm not saying that they're making another Skyward Sword, but I am saying that it has that mood of like the whole like there's a lot of uh, skydiving, there's a lot of traveling through the air, uh, there's temples in the skies, and I don't know, I like the vibe. I think it's really funny that uh, well maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. I think it's a little bit funny that uh, Nintendo UK had to uh, cancel showing the direct because of the name of this game. I don't know if it was the name of the game. I think it might have been just in general. But, Are you sure about yeah. that? You sure that Tears of the Kingdom is not something they wanted to show in the UK right now? I don't know. I think it's I think it's probably more likely than not that there's a very good reason they, they and that's probably it why they didn't want to show the Nintendo Direct. I think you would have pissed a lot of British people off with that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, for those who don't know, the, as we're recording this episode, the Queen of England passed away this week. And there are a lot of moods about that. And, uh, and earlier this week, as Nintendo announced that it was going to be doing a Nintendo Direct, it, uh, it also Nintendo UK came out and said, out of respect for the for the loss of the royal family, we are going to pull back and not show the Nintendo Direct on our UK channels. Especially when you name your game Tears of the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it looked I think it looked great though. It was one of the best uh, it was one of the best looks we've had at the game in a while, and it's it's very interesting how how Nintendo is peeling back the layers very carefully and very little by little. Oh yeah, yeah, this this Nintendo Direct was uh, masterfully done. How they revealed things, it was very well done. So um, we're gonna skip around now. I'm I'm willing to bet you that the title that excited Scott most was the announcement of Octopath Traveler 2. Oh, definitely. I was very happy to see that. It was a very big surprise. I didn't expect this to be announced at all. Um, I, I I thought it would be another year till we heard anything. Uh, you know, for this game, and it looks like they did a lot of good work. Uh, they they listened to the feedback of people wanting interacting uh, character stories. You know that they wanted it to intertwine more, and so that was like their big feedback that they said that they had received and uh, had you know carried forward into this game. 
Uh, and it looks like we're getting day and night uh, mechanics, which will be interesting. And, of course, you have the eight classes and eight characters, so they're keeping with that, uh, you know, symmetry there, which will be interesting. And uh, they, they, they're different characters this time, and it looks like a different world or at least a different era. It looks a little bit more modern, at least. The merchant looks like he's from the 1920s or something. Uh, yeah, so the characters look very interesting. It, it looks like it spans quite a... a quite a diverse area it looked like there was like feudal japan there and uh you know they got like carriages and they got uh some really fast boats going and you know just it looks good so um also um one of the interesting announcements was resident evil village cloud which represents their way of getting around storage issues and with um with resident evil so you can play it on the cloud Okay. Yeah. Uh, this has always been an interesting thing to me, and it makes sense that Capcom is doing this because they've been uh, they've been doing big pushes with Resident Evil Two, Three, and uh, Seven a lot with uh, the upgrade patches that they just did for PS5 and Xbox Series XS. And so uh, Switch, I guess, would have been the last frontier for them to put these games. And I forgot. I always forget about cloud gaming. I don't. I've never played a, a cloud version of a of a of a game on Nintendo Switch, so I don't know if it's good or bad. I've heard from people that Control was pretty good, but uh, I've never actually had a chance to see how the how the cloud gaming how the cloud versions of these games work myself on the Nintendo Switch. I have to think at some point the a uh, lot of publishers and developers are going to start pressuring Nintendo to have a lot more memory on their stupid Switch. You know, you can't have that small a memory, you know, a USB, I'm sorry, not USB, uh, uh, you know, a card to plug in. You need, you need a real, you need a real hard drive at some point. Well, that, it's got to be, it's got to be a process to allocate the servers that you're going to use to run the, the cloud versions of these games. And it's going to be interesting to see how much uh, this sells on on the Switch. I mean, a good chunk of people own more than one console, and are they going to play Resident Evil Village Cloud on the Switch when they've already played it on the Xbox or PlayStation? I mean, they're not going to buy it for sixty bucks on the Switch. That's <laughs> sure. Especially when you don't own the game, you don't have yeah. the game, you're just renting it, basically. Yeah, I. Uh... I don't know. I think that uh, I think it's a losing prospect if you try to sell these games at full price on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, we have a new Fire Emblem game coming, uh, Fire Emblem Engage, and it's going to be part of the main Fire Emblem uh, 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 series. Because if you remember, a lot of games have been Fire Emblem spinoffs. This is actually going to be a Fire Emblem game in the Fire Emblem series. Yeah, I uh, I haven't had a chance to really play through one since I, I played the I played the Fire Emblem Warriors game. But well, I, Scott, you play Fire Emblem, right? I have not played Fire Emblem, but I've really? seen it. I, I just, yeah, I haven't gotten to it. Uh, but it does seem like a good series. Uh, I, I love strategy games. Wait a minute, just, you 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 played the East series and you haven't played Fire Emblem? That's backwards. No, I <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sorry. Sometimes I have limited funds and can't buy all the games. No, it isn't yeah, buying all the games. It's... I I do like how with this one. They're like they're making a mechanic of being able to call upon previous Fire Emblem heroes to help I, you. I combat. like that too. That's really yeah. cool because I do. I did play some Fire Emblem games back in the day on like 
on Nintendo on the original Nintendo and on uh, the Game Boy Advance. And so I'm familiar with characters like Ike and and Lynn. And here's the thing, you know, a lot of people will finally figure out who that fucking Marth is in Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, right. that's the question. Who's Marth? What, why is Mar? Who's Mar? This Marth that's in Super Smash Melee? Oh, okay. He actually comes from a game. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's cool. I think that's cool making a like fan favorite characters a mechanic of like being able to summon them and gain their abilities and attributes and powers. I think that's really neat. Um, a lot of people are commenting I, on the main character's hairstyle. Oh yeah, <laughs> a lot of people were comparing it to Aquafresh. I mean, he has red and uh, red and blue hair, and he has red and blue eyes. <laughs> that that was a, an odd character choice, but it's it's still interesting and it looks good. It jumps out at you. Pretty, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty pretty wild there. But I like the gameplay. It looks good. Uh, will be a very polygon, game. Polygon called the design 4th of July turned into an anime mascot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, how do you feel about Pikmin 4 finally coming out in next year? It's very interesting that they decided to do this thing where uh, it's they, they decided to do this thing where it's the real world, but like Pikmin world and, and the astronauts that control them are just really, 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 really small. Because it looks like it's set in a little uh, little ch- child's playground in park, right underneath a park bench. Now you know why Tinykin came out so soon before. It's like, we don't want to be accused of ripping off Pikmin 4. What a strange thing. Like, I always thought that they were going to different planets and, and they were just normal-sized people. And then it turns out that uh, Pikmin just live among us like the gnomes. <laughs> like David the gnome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Tunic is coming to the Switch uh, in actually a few weeks. So, um, go ahead. Are you going to play Tunic there, TJ? Uh, now that it's on the Switch, I can take it with me wherever I feel like playing it, so that's good. Yep. And also, It Takes Two is coming to Switch as well. What a strange... And I I, I want to know how that game's going to work, because that game is beautiful. And uh, I game. really do wonder if the Switch is going to be able to handle it. It, mm-hmm. do, it does have some limitations. I, I've had some games where it gets a little bit slowed down on it, uh, when there's, like, I guess, too many entities. Yeah. Yeah, there's right. some issues. Makes me sad that Bayonetta 3 is coming to Switch because it has to be restrained as well. I mean, maybe the character won't be restrained, but you know, they have to they have to make concessions. And yeah, here's I mean, the thing. Not- go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm just saying, you know, it's it's a pity, you know, that it's exclusive to Switch. That Nintendo bought the the property because uh, Bayonetta was born on the Xbox, and it's always been an Xbox game to me, and I enjoy the story. I mean, I don't have to play it to watch it on YouTube, you know, the entire story, which robs me of playing the game. But then again, the gameplay was really never that interesting to me, as interesting as it was the, the cutscenes and the in the story that was going on. I mean, there is a little bit of a disconnect, but I still love Bayonetta. It's a shame that she's someone's aunt in uh, Super Smash Brothers. She's, yeah. she's someone's aunt in, in Super Smash because they can't have her that hypersexualized. But in the Bayonetta games, you know, she can be herself. Yeah. It's uh like we're this close after so long, and I I know a lot of people are excited to get back to the Bayonetta universe. 
I kind of wish they would release. I kind of wish they would release Bayonetta one and two in a package right beforehand because I would love to re-explore those games. But they do sell Bayonetta one and two in a package. That's how that's yeah that's how Bayonetta two was released in, for for the Wii. It came with one and two. No, I'm talking about on current systems. Oh, I'm pretty sure you can just you know, they will release it. You know, one, two, and three. Because here's the thing about Bayonetta two. No one bought it on the Wii. It was one of the lowest sellers ever, ever. On launch, it sold thousands worldwide. Yeah, I guess it's available. Bayonetta 2 is on Nintendo Switch. Yeah. But, uh, let me see. (laughs) But the thing is that, you know what? They, 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 it's a lot of people say, well, the story in 2 is the same as story in 1. You know, no, it isn't. It builds on number one. It, at, at the end of Bayonetta 2, uh, minor spoiler here, she finds out that the Lumen Sage is her father, and at the very end, she embodies both Lady Sheba and Jubileus. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, so the story of Bayonetta is in the first game, um, there was an imbalance, and she, the reason why she was able to beat Jubileus was because she was not all there. You know, she was damaged to begin with. So, uh, But... One of the interesting things about Jubileus and Lady Sheba, they both resemble Bayonetta. Which is a not so subtle um, uh, symbolism there. Huh. Um, do you want to talk about the new Kirby game? It's actually a remaster, if I, I think. Yes, it is a it is a remaster of a 2011 Wii game, which was uh, it's it's the same thing. It's called Kirby's Return to Dreamland. But uh, what a year it has been for Kirby. They put so <laughs> much. Uh, They've put so much into the Kirby anniversary. Where was this love for Zelda? <laughs> they put they put out a Game and Watch for Zelda, and that's about it. They put out a Game and Watch, and they put out Skyward Sword, and that's about it. <laughs> for you the want- entire year that Zelda was having its big twenty thirty fifth anniversary, but you know, I get I love Kirby. A lot of folks love Kirby, and they especially love Kirby over in Japan. Um. So to a degree, I get it. I'm 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 not gonna balk at the at the feast of Kirby games that we've gotten throughout 2022 and into 2023. Yeah, this uh, version is a lot more cel shaded. It looks, you know, usually Kirby games try to you know look sort of semi realistic. You know, like they go heavy on the 3D. This one looks more like a cel shaded game, a cel shaded 2D game. And uh, it's going to be four-player co-op. You can uh, have four Kirby's running around on the screen, collecting uh, abilities and, and destroying enemies. But yeah. you can also play as uh, Meta Knight, King DDD, and uh, Bandana Waddle D. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like. We've had we've had a Kirby mini game type game with with uh, Kirby's uh, Kirby Kirby's Dream Buffet. And then we've had, like, a full-on new style of Kirby game with Kirby in the Forgotten World. So I think it makes sense to do this next one and maybe this last one as, like, a traditional 2.5D Kirby game, like a proper platformer. Yeah, another um, another remaster is Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion. There's a lot of remasters coming to the Switch, too. I mean, they're bringing Sifu as well and Tales of Symphonia. There's a lot of remasters coming to the uh Coming to the Switch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I almost forgot. Radiant Silver Gun. I mean, one of Treasure's best, uh, uh, you know, bullet hell games. 
The thing that I was most happy to see is that front the remakes of Front Mission One and Two got dates during this uh during this which like I know that Front Mission is a niche series, but like it is everything that speaks Very niche. It's, it's a it's a JRPG, it's it's a strategy RPG in the tactics style, and it features mecha that you can just destroy each other with. And, and customize. Like you can load them up with the weapons that you want and blow the arms off of other <laughs> the arms and legs off other mecha and, and turn based combat. I love Front Mission. And I'm happy to see that more people get to see that series. And I'm even happier that they also confirmed on this uh, Nintendo Direct that they are also remaking Front Mission 3. By the way, I should mention, uh, a game came out today that was mentioned at uh, on the Nintendo Switch uh, Direct, which is also now out right, out right now on Steam, is Various Daylife. And it's done by the team that did Octopath Traveler and Bravely Default. Have you? What do you think of uh, Various Daylife? I know that there was... I know that there was a lot of people making memes today about farm games. <laughs> I, I like having some farm games. It's fine. Yeah, but this one goes a little bit beyond being a farm game. Yeah, I think that is this the one. It's a co-op game you, for one. <laughs> I, I forget. There were a couple of farm games. I can't remember if this is the one where some like dark thing is happening to the land and you have to save it, go on quest to find it. No, this is the one in which you're settling a new land. Um, there are um, 200. There are 20 job classes and 100 types of work, work things yeah. to perform. It's a life management game. Oh, fantasy life. This is the one they call fantasy life. That's no, it's they, called it's called various day life. Right, and they they made they made the joke that it's like fantasy life where it's not like fantasy life. life. jobs too. It's yeah. It originally came out on Apple Arcade. Okay. But yeah, like it just came out today on Square Enix uh, uh, on Steam though. Yeah. Of all the farm games we saw, the one that really spoke to me the most was from was Fay Farm. Uh, yeah, it's good. That game is from Phoenix Labs, which are the folks that worked on Dauntless, and I love Dauntless. I'm I'm really happy to see them. This is their second game that they've ever done. Wow, they've grown so much since uh, you mentioned since they started Dauntless. You mentioned Dauntless. It's like when's the last time we discussed Dauntless? I mean, it's yep. still out there. It's a free-to-play game, but still, it's like... <laughs> so, Fae Farm is, is like, it's not in the vein of Dauntless, but it is going to be co-op, where you can have up to four players. Oh, that's like right. I, I confuse Various Day Life with, uh, with, with Fae Farm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, this is the one where, like... You can it's Animal Crossing meets Stardew Valley, basically. <laughs> yeah, but with co-op. Like I don't think I can't. You can't do. I don't think you can do co-op in Stardew. Can you? No, actually, um, you will be because I believe they announced that there was that it was going to be a patch to uh, Stardew that's going to allow for multiplayer at some point. Maybe less, if I remember correctly. I mean, the they, developers say they. Uh, one of the developers said he played over 800 hours of Animal Crossing, so you can see where this is getting its influence from. Yeah, uh, but like I love Phoenix Labs, I love Dauntless, I love talking to those guys at PAX several times over, and I'm really happy to see how they've grown. So Fay Farm is, and Fay Farm looked good. It looked like uh, it looked like an enjoyable and relaxing time, like getting together with friends and just doing different tasks and growing a farm. That sounds kind of fun. And the developer said, um, you know how complicated it is to get to invite someone into your Animal Crossing thing to do some co-op. Yeah, this is gonna be a lot easier. Because, yes, it is a notorious drag to invite someone to your island in Animal Crossing. 
Yeah, they wanted to make this a lot more of a, a, a painless way to do it. Just, eh, you want to come in? Sure. Here we are. Yeah, they, they, there's a lot of problems with Animal Crossing, just not having the, the interactivity that you would like with your, your you know, friends. You know, they, they, they have to they have to be like your best, best friend just to do stuff on the island. And, and when you have two people on the island with you and you have them active, you can't go... To Harv's Island, you can't go to the Mysterious Islands together. It's just, but I know they're not going to change any of it now. By the way, it's not couch co-op at all. It's going to be four separate consoles, just in case people are wondering. Um, they also said they were involved. They were inspired by Valheim, V Rising, and Minecraft. Those are good, good ones to be inspired by. Yeah, I'm like they, and they know what they're doing when they implement things. Like they built Dauntless, which is how many. How many actual factual competitors to Monster Hunter do you know of? That, that, actually <laughs> that is free to play and and co-op. So good on them. I know I, I trust Phoenix Labs to be able to to take good lessons from other games and implement them properly. Yeah. Uh, last we're going to talk about before we get into the news item. Um, it warms my heart that they're bringing Endless Dungeon to Switch as well, and it got a little bit of attention. I think I'd like to just to mention Triangle Strategy is actually coming to Steam as well for those waiting for it. Yep, yep. and actually they have a um, a bundle that you can buy uh, both games. Uh. Yep. Anyways, uh, we're going to move on to the next item. Go ahead, Scott. GoldenEye coming to Nintendo Switch and Xbox Game Pass. This is from Polygon. GoldenEye 007, the classic Nintendo 64 first-person shooter is coming to Nintendo Switch and Xbox consoles. The Switch port of the original game will include online multiplayer and arrive at part as part of the Nintendo Switch Online expansion pack and Xbox Game Pass subscribers will get the game too. Nintendo and original developer Rare announced a re-release of GoldenEye 007 Tuesday during a Nintendo Direct streaming presentation and on Twitter. According to a news pre- release, by Rare, its iconic 1997 FPS will now include achievements, 4K resolution, and smoother frame rate on Xbox. GoldenEye 007 will also get online multiplayer, at least on Nintendo Switch version. Rare says that the online multiplayer is exclusive to Nintendo's console. Which is fucking bizarre. Yeah, that is weird. I thought it was going to be cross-played between Xbox and Switch. Uh, for Nintendo Switch Online subscribers, today's announcement also includes news that the service will include additional N64 hits uh, uh, on the expansion pack subscription tier. Nintendo is soon adding Pilotwings 64, Mario Party, Mario Party 2, and Mario Party 3, Pokemon Stadium and Pokemon Stadium 2, and the 1080 Snowboarding and Exact Bike 64 to the service. Access to the games will require ownership of a Nintendo Switch, a subscription to this Nintendo Switch Online service, and the expansion pack add-on for that service. May I add, yawn. Here's the thing. Game Pass has every single first-party game available on the Xbox on it. Every single first-party game. Nintendo's adding Pilotwing 64, a bunch of Mario Party games, Pokemon Stadium and Excitebike. Come on, what? <laughs> of all the 64 games and the Super Nintendo and the regular Nintendo, imagine if their uh, expansion pack included all of their first-party titles. That'd be great. But no, if you've mm-hmm. been if you've been hungering for Pilot Wing 64, guess what? Uh, you can now play it on the subscription servers. 
By the way, I'm wondering if this is the now I don't know if you know anything about the history of the GoldenEye uh, remaster and the years and years of confusion of who can do it. You remember they uh, actually had a working 4K version of GoldenEye 2007 that they were not allowed to u- release, but it was leaked. You know, videos were leaked about it. I'm wondering if it's that if this is that game. I don't know. I think it's ridiculous that like. <laughs> this is such a weird thing altogether because like the so everybody else gets the remaster right the improved version the the 60 frames per second golden eye that will that will run lag free but they don't get online play that's not allowed you can't have online play if you're doing the remaster of golden eye 007 only local play for you scrub but if on, on the other hand, you know what? Uh, doing the <laughs> doing the set local machine, uh, what's it called? Couch co-op on GoldenEye will actually be a more accurate experience. <laughs> but if you're playing on Nintendo, the not 4K resolution, not smoother frame rate, not just basic 1997 game, then you get the then you get the uh, online play on Nintendo's shitty servers and all. <laughs> and shitty. And shitty uh, uh, matchmaking, and it's incredible. That's such a weird. That's such a weird deal. Why not just make the online play available on all forms? Why not make the remastered version of GoldenEye for Nintendo Switch? Why? Why this weird thing where like the 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 remastered version and the online play have to be separated? I, I have a feeling that there was a lot of – here's the thing. Remember, Nintendo was the one who had the holdup. It was supposed to be on on um, you know, a part you – know, it was supposed to be on Xbox, a lo- Xbox Live Arcade a long time ago. And, and even though Nintendo doesn't own the rights to it, for some reason they had to keep pulling the game back. And I'm wondering if this is some complicated um, you know, a- agreement between Microsoft and Nintendo about how to handle this. Um, how much you want to bet a year from now you'll have online multiplayer on the Xbox version? I would bet on it, but like I don't know, it's such a weird setup here. It's so like I I agree with you. It was probably some dealings behind the scenes. It's gonna. I know the remastered version is gonna be free on Rare Replay. Like if you have Rare Replay already, you'll be able yeah. to access the updated version of GoldenEye 007. Well, if you have Game Pass, it's gonna be free anyway. So they said, "Fuck it, why not?" <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Um, I did not like, uh, GoldenEye 007 because I thought it was primitive and it's still primitive, but a lot of people have the nostalgia. So, cause I was, I was a PC gamer. Damn it. <laughs> I hate to be the, the, the cold wet blanket. Let's talk about state of play. Um, first things first, uh, Tekken 8 is officially revealed. Uh, DJ, how are your feelings on a new Tekken? Looked dope as hell. That looked like it was actual gameplay at various points. And if that's the case, man, it's looking real good. They, was that it the, like, I was a little bit confused because it looked like it was the same fighter, but you know how, like, if you pick the same fighter, you'll, they'll put one in an alternate clothing? It looked like that's what they had done. Oh, so for the unfamiliar, the one, the guy on the right was uh, was Kazuya Mishimi, or sorry, Kazuya Mishima, who has been a long-standing sort of protagonist antagonist of the series, and then 
like the the guy on the uh, left is Jen Kazama, who is who is Kazoya's son, and they hate each other. Ah, uh, right. Uh, just uh, so you know, it's it's going to be on PC and a, a Series X as well. Just just so people know. Yeah. And here's the thing: they're going. Uh, the game is very iconic because I don't play Tekken, but as soon as I saw them, I was like, "Is this Tekken?" And then <laughs> took the title Tekken. Uh, but the thing is that um, they're really going hard on the uh, realistic look. On, oh on this yeah. Game. This game is the first. If I'm not, if I remember correctly. They were talking about this is the first Tekken that's been made, and I think they're go. I think they're moving up to Unreal Engine Five with this one. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the uh, lighting effects look great. Yeah, you had like dynamic weather with rain and and lightning going on in the background. You actually had like it looked like there was some scenery in the background that was changing as they fought. Um, and of course, you had the typical Tekken volcano because that <laughs> the volcano in Tekken is as much of a character as any of the characters in Tekken. Yep. And it was running in 60 frames per second. Uh, by the way, uh, it was not pre-rendered footage. They they said it was real-time rendered footage of the game. So. That is cool. Like there were a lot of interesting things there. They had like slowdown moments and climactic hits, where like. You would, and they've done that before in Tekken Seven, but not on that level where like the camera shifted and moved to like really give oomph to the cinematic hit, and then the match just continued. And like I'm I'm curious to see how a match actually plays out in Tekken Eight based off of what we saw there. Um, the other thing that I'm wondering is that when I got Tekken Seven, um, I got the one that came with the with the Hori keyboard. I wonder if they're going to have a version of it that comes with a keyboard. Not a, I mean, a, a, you know, a, a fighting game gamepad. Yeah, a fight stick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, there's a lot. There's a lot to take in here. And this is only, like, the first glimpse we've had of the game. We had a teaser at Evo, which didn't tell us much. We didn't even know that it was going to be, whether it was going to be Tekken 8 or Tekken Tag. Or so, a Tekken crossover was, game, either. Yeah. And uh, and to see like the level of detail that was put into what looked like an actual fight in the game was truly impeccable. I'm really excited for more Tekken. I'm going to tell you something. It's going to if they ever come up with another Dead or Alive game, it's going to have to really push to to equal that because the thing about Dead or Alive was that it was always trying to be as realistic as possible in terms of character you know character design and stuff like that. Well, except for the breasts, but you know there's nothing you do about that. Um, there was a new God of War Ragnarok trailer, and um, they also showed off a God of War Ragnarok DualSense controller. Yes, that that uh, DualSense controller looked cool too. That's maybe the coolest. I, I, I know what you're thinking though, TJ. How sturdy is it? <laughs> I know that's the uh, that's yeah. the issue with those controllers is that I I don't like how weak they are. <laughs> oh, you know what? We should talk about the fact that Sony's coming out with their version of the uh, of the Elite. The Elite. You know oh, yeah, their, their right. version of the elite controller. I mean, they're they're coming out with their high high end uh, controller, uh, and hopefully it'll be. And so is Microsoft. Either they're coming out with their no their a new version of the of their elite too. And here's the thing: so long as it's sturdy and there's no stick drift, I'll be happy. Yeah, I hope I hope it's sturdy because like right now the current DualSense controller is flimsy. It's it works well and it's very operational and I, and I. I like using it for most of my games nowadays, but that thing is flimsy and breaks very easily. Um, also, coming from the guys who made Neo, you have Rise of the Ronin. Um, how do you feel about that one, TJ? Um, 
I think it looks fun. I, I like the a, other one that we saw more. Uh, which one? There was, a, there was a couple Samurai games in this one. At least two. Yeah, the, the Like a Dragon Ishin coming to the West. Yeah, that uh, game had already been in Japan for a while, and they're finally bringing it here. They both looked good to me, uh, I think. They would both be fun games to play if, if those are your type of gaming. I liked Like a Dragon Ishin because it looked like a Yakuza or a Judgment game set in feudal Japan. And the sword play in, in Like a Dragon Ishin looked fun as well. Like, it, Ryu Gagatoku knows how to make combat look fun in their games. They uh they've been doing it for a very good job for a very long time with Yakuza and Judgment and like like a Dragon Nation like they 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 won me over pretty quickly with what they were showing in that trailer. I was intrigued by Pacific Drive. Yeah, this is the first time we've ever started seeing uh PSVR two games. Yeah, uh, it's being developed by Ironwood Studios and basically it's what they call a run based first person driving survival game. <laughs> Takes place in the post-apocalyptic Pacific Northwest, and what you have to do is you have to uh, get out of your car and look for resources, improve it, and keep it powered while you know you're in an irradiated wasteland. Yeah, which not only was this the first time that we've seen PSVR games or PSVR two games, this was also the first time I think I can remember in my experience with VR uh, being outside of a vehicle and getting into a vehicle and driving. And I know that there's been driving games in VR, and I know that there's been, like, walking around games in VR, but I've never seen a game, I haven't experienced a VR game where you actually had access to automobiles and could drive them around. Yeah. I mean... Like, in addition to being able to explore on foot. You know, the thing is that you don't really see many games in which you're in a car in a VR game anyway. I, I can't think of any offhand. I mean, aside from maybe VR versions of current racing games, but... Maybe if they're yeah, out there. I'm kind there. of surprised that Gran Turismo doesn't have a VR game. Uh, they are porting uh, Demio, uh, the virtual reality board game, to uh, to yeah to PlayStation VR too. Yeah, the Demio that looked interesting. Demio is or has been out on uh, on Quest Galaxy for a Quest while. Two, yeah, and uh, came to Steam late uh, this year. And uh, that game is very fun. It's it's D and D as a VR game. Yeah. You, well, it's a board game. It's a board game, basically. You're playing a tabletop game, as a, yeah. you know, which is which is interesting. Uh, Everybody, every character takes up a character class. They have cards in, that serve as abilities specific to their class, and you just you try to get through a roguelike dungeon, find a key, get the treasure, and get to the exit before you get killed by swarming enemies. And then you have the Star Wars VR game. Uh, Star Wars Tales from the Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, that one looked okay. That looked more like a that looked more like an experience than a game. Yeah, basically the Batman game. Uh, you want to talk about sin duality? I didn't, I didn't care much for what I saw. Like, let me see. Let me. It was borrowing hard from from uh, from Metroid in terms of the look and stuff because it's a third person mecha game. Oh, uh, okay. And it, but it just reminded me a lot, uh, for some reason, of Metroid. Yeah, I didn't really get anything out of this game, one way or the other. Um, I've been very interested in Stellar Blade, because it looks like somebody's best attempt at recapturing the magic of Nier Automata, without actually being... <laughs> and, uh, I, 
And I say that in a good way, because, like, the game, it looks stylish. The the monsters look like Cronenberg monstrosities. And the uh, the sci-fi nature of it, like, the mixing of swordplay with gunplay looks fun. And then, finally, we have the long-awaited Project Eve coming out in 2023, and they're going to be calling that's, it Stellar Blade. Yeah, that's the one I was just talking about with uh, the Cronenberg monsters and stuff. No, I thought you were talking about Sin... I thought you were talking about Sin Duality. No, I was talking about Stellar Blade, because that oh, game okay. looks fun. Because they both have uh, the same aesthetic, basically. But S- Stellar Blade looks like some... Like I said, Stellar Blade looks like somebody made a good attempt at trying to recapture the magic of Nier Automata. It looks like it's got good swordplay, good action, and then the monsters, that, like the things that you go up against look terrifying. There's like a, a giant ogre-esque monster with like a saw blade for a head. It's like there's a lot of weird creatures in that game, and they look like they're going to be terrifying to clash with. Again, you know what? It took a lot, but Tekken 8 actually generated a lot more interest than God of War Ragnarok, um, simply just because of the look, you know. The, that next that engine is just making it look gorgeous. Yeah, they uh, they did a good job with that one, and it's a it's a studio that's fairly new, uh, uh, Shift Up Corporation, which is a Korean development house. Uh, they don't seem to have any games that have come out stateside before. Uh, just a couple uh, just a couple of other projects, um, but Stellar Blade looks like it might be very fun. Yeah. Anyways, we're gonna move on to more news. Uh, Square Enix joins a blockchain, looking forward to harnessing user contributions from PC Gamer. And already we can just feel the air going out of the room right now. (laughs) Square Enix has always been one of the most bullish of the major publishers in announcing its intent to seriously invest in blockchain technology. At the start of the year, President Yosuke Matsuda said that the company intends to ramp up efforts to uh, develop a business accordingly with the eye towards issuing our own tokens in the future. Okay, so I'm going to stop talking about the article and I'm just going to talk about this bullshit right now. So... Here's the thing. Apparently, the reason that Square Enix sold off all its Western studios to Embracer was to raise $300 million specifically for this. Imagine that. They're, they're selling off Deus Ex, Tomb Raider, all the, you know, all these just so they, they could do 300 million, buy $300 million in NFTs. I don't, it, and here's the chilling part. Yosuke Sato, the director of Square Enix's blockchain entertainment division, said, Our shared enthusiasm for Web3 gaming makes this an exciting partnership for us, and we look forward to gaming insights that can advance the creation of all new gameplay experiences for gamers across the world. Most concerned, he also said, as part of this initiative, Square Enix and Oasis will explore the feasibility of harnessing user contributions in the development of new games on the Oasis blockchain. Again, they think that gamers are going to be 100% into this, and be employees instead of customers. What the ever-living fuck? I, I, I don't often say this, but my sentiment has been re-uttered by everybody. And I mean everybody. Well, Square Enix was good while it lasted. Because it seems to me they're, they're torpedoing their company in a big way. But they're going to be more irrelevant than Konami. There are three sides to Square Enix right one side is this weird NFT-centered move. Another side is their AAA department, where they're doing things like Final Fantasy VII Remake and Final Fantasy XVI and Final Fantasy XIV. And they will not sabotage Final Fantasy XIV because that is their cash cow. And in fact, 
the uh, the director of Final Fantasy fourteen has already made it pretty clear that there will no that he won't allow NFTs to be in Final Fantasy fourteen. The thing is, it would be technically impossible as well because um, for one thing, you'd have to remake the entire game from the ground up with with NFT blockchains, and that's not going to happen. So, so that, so there you have a side that's like resistant to that NFT side. Well, it's not just resistant; it's just they can't. They just can't. Um, and then let's be on the, that side too. Well, no, that's what I was about to get to. And then thirdly, well, the new dragon, the the new 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 Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest Twelve might might be on that. I would consider that to be on the AAA side. Um, but. Then you have the this side of Square Enix that is my favorite camp, and probably Scott's as well, <laughs> where they've been working on all these like remakes and remasters and 2D HD versions, like new JRPGs. And I love that side. I love the Square Enix that cares about its history and and wants to bring back the cool old games, or or do new modern versions of those things with things like Octopath wow. Traveler too. Well, hopefully that that other thing will get their claws in them and say, okay, you're going to remake these games. They're going to have blockchains in them. Oh, that would suck. So <laughs> they were like, it, we're it really does play. feel like this company is not. There's like a disconnect between these groups. You know, you get you get the like what we're talking about with the the the, the triangle strategy, Octopath, and the Dragon's Quest, and then you got the Final Fantasy section going on, and then you have this weird nft thing that doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything else and it's just like i don't know what's going on with that company they think that gamers want to work for them and you'll make money too no you won't how how are they gonna make try to make that that make i don't like you you play i don't even know how how do you even do that i I don't even i don't think square enix does either uh scott I don't think they. I don't think they know either, and which which is why like they're pouring money. A lot of companies are pouring a lot of money into research, what they're calling research, but really it's like these experiments in which they're just trying to figure out where do NFTs and Web three design fit into gameplay. Take two just says we're just going to release virtual currency. Yeah, and if they would let us gambling, but we're not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> so. I don't know. I don't think Square Enix is in danger of dying because I still think that they do a lot of things that a lot of people enjoy. I mean, people are going to play the new Final Fantasy remake. Yeah. They're going to play Final Fantasy 16. And me and people like me and Scott will play games like Front Mission and Octopath Traveler 2 and yeah. Dragon Quest 3 remake. Mhm. Um, well, and as long as they keep those things and as long as they keep the 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 classic 2D HD style keep it keep moving forward with that as well as they're doing like the AAA stuff. I don't give a fuck what they do with NFTs. Okay, let as me move forward. Don't try to wedge them into those other games. Yeah. Let me move forward to uh, a happier topic right now. Konami renews its Sudiken trademark, and this comes from Eurogamer. Konami's much talked about quote unquote unannounced game could be a new Sudigan title. A renewed trademark for the game filed back in July, but only recently spotted, has popped up in Mexico, leading some to speculate that if Konami's upcoming TGS spot doesn't involve Castlevania, Metal Gear Solid, or Silent Hill, then it just may be a new installment in the classic RPG series. 
Konami recently released its lineup for Tokyo Game Show 2022. That included an unannounced game and a 45-minute presentation. Silent Hill fans will be pay, uh, paying particularly close attention as another Silent Hill leak dropped today, purporting to be a very blurry screenshots of Blue Team's alleged Silent Hill 2 remake. So um, the reason why a lot of people think it's Sudikin is because you have Aiden Chronicles, which is basically in the Sudikin universe, and they have a new game coming out called, you know, 100 Heroes. So... The line of thinking is, well, if Aiden Chronicles is is becoming hotter, maybe Konami thinks, you know what? Now's the time for a new Sudokan game. Um, so so th- this is a good segue because Konami did that whole 35th anniversary of Castlevania NFTs, auctioned off some images and made money from that. So that's why, you know, in part, I think Square is trying to do the same thing because, oh, look, Konami made some money. Let's try to make some, too. Very little money. <laughs> um, and, and, and for them renewing their uh, trademark, they have Sukadin merchandise and might release more. I don't really trust Konami, you know, because I just feel that they're going to let me down. And well, they I, did get the right developer to work on a Silent Hill 2 remake, and that's Bloober Team, because their last game uh, was basically Silent Hill. <laughs> the me- yeah, the medium. And, uh, and uh, they even had uh, the... Yeah, the... The composer, yeah. But uh, there is precedent to believe that Konami is working on a Suikoden game, because uh, the person that they're having present the their unannounced game is a voice act is a Japanese voice actor and yeah. he only has two credits on Konami games and both <laughs> of those games are uh, are Suikoden games. Sweet Koden, yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> like I said, so, you know, Aiden Chronicles, you know, is in the Suikoden uh, universe, and um, you know, maybe this will be a new uh, period uh, Suikoden uh, titles. I would love to see the Suikoden. I would, I would love to see back. all the Suikoden games go on to Steam. That would be nice. Uh, or, you know, maybe they can also, maybe they'll be doing a new remaster of Suikoden t- titles. You know what would be really cool is if they just announced a base Suikoden, a new Suikoden RPG. In the st- like, if they saw what Square Enix was doing with the 2D HD remakes and were like, let's do that too. You know what would be the least cool thing they could do and is much more likely given it's Konami? What if they made a Suikoden game in which every one of the 100 characters was an NFT? Oh, God. <laughs> How many hearts would they do? Yeah, that, that's what people are, are saying might happen is there'll be a Suikoden NFTs where all the characters. There's more than 108. No, no, no. Konami, Konami already has realized that their best cheap money-making thing is to make uh, pachinko machines. So if, they, if they're going to do that, they're going to announce a new Sudikin pachinko machine. What is uh, what is NFTs but the new pachinko? <laughs> I think they already have that. Not Konami, but I think that exists. <laughs> I, I don't know. I really, really hope it's not that. I really hope they just do a cool new game and it turns out then they put it in the hands of somebody competent because I don't think that Konami is good at making games anymore. Uh, and uh, I hope that it works out. I, I'm I'm interested to see what they've got up their sleeve. Did Did Hundred Heroes get a release date yet, uh, Scott? Not not yet. Just uh, 2023 for now. Okay. 
uh, Tokyo Game Show might have more details. They might release a date there. Yeah. Tokyo Game Show is when? Let me see. Uh, it's good. Ah, it's next week. Oh, this actually tomorrow. <laughs> no, I mean this Thursday. So it's going to be this weekend. Uh, yeah. We Tokyo Game Show. So we'll have something new to talk about next week. Yes. And as a, a not so subtle. Uh, uh, um, Oh, God. Segway. Look for our notes at GamingPodcast.net, along with industry news and our gaming history articles. We enjoy your feedback. So leave us comments on our blog at GamingPodcast.net. Also, hit us up at Facebook.com slash GamingPodcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave some iTunes comments. You can find me on Twitter at John Falcon. You can find me at John Chuds. You can find me at Chard Moore. And we will see you next week, and hopefully we'll have some answers to our questions with Tokyo Game Show. Happy gaming, everyone. Have fun. Be cool. Play games, y'all.